Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name's Kieran Maguire from the University of Liverpool, uh, and I teach football finance for a career. So, Karen, firstly, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm good. I, I'm getting increasingly excited about the prospect of seeing football again, if slightly disillusioned at the fact that I'm not going to see it properly because watching it on the telly is, is not the same, but it's, it, it's certainly better than uh, what we have at present. So, uh, provided the health issues um, are uh, dealt with appropriately, then at least we do have something to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely. I'd sort of been watching reruns of old games on on Sky. Sort of, I think I found myself watching a, a game from two thousand and four, two thousand and five season of Portsmouth v Southampton. So that's that's the the depths and breadths of I've got I've gone to to get my football fix. So what we'll do is we'll start with your general thoughts on Championship finances. Obviously, they are a bit of a mess. And for example, Reading this uh, well for the twenty eighteen nineteen season recorded a forty million pound loss. Um, one of the clubs to sell their grounds to them to themselves the owners uh, and obviously they finished 20th and will finish probably finish lower mid-table this season yeah what are your general thoughts on football finance in the championship um I, I, I think the the championship is the most brilliant car crash of a division in Europe <laughs> um and the reason for that is it, it's it's a meeting of different powers so you've got all of these clubs coming down from the Premier League awash with the money from there and parachute payments. Um, so that, you know, the previous year, they will have had £100 million of TV money. And then you've got three clubs coming up from, the, from League One who the previous season would have had £1 million in TV money. Mm-hmm. And you bring those together with the established championship clubs Derby, Forest, Leeds, you know, sort of the, the, the Hardy, you know, Ipswich until yeah. last season at least. Um, and you put those all together and, and it can't work. You know, from a financial point of view, um, it, it just becomes plain silly. So you've, these different models and everybody's desperate to either avoid relegation or to get promoted to get back into that £100 million a year bracket. Um, and as a result of that, the clubs in, uh, in the championship last season, that's uh, 2018-19, lost collectively over £600 million between them in terms of day-to-day activity. So you know, the, the owners of those clubs are, are writing out a cheque between them for yeah, around about £12 million, uh, £14 million uh, a week, which, which is just insane. It's, it's football. And uh, yeah. it's 
from from a from an analyst's point of view, from a researcher's point of view, you know, God bless them. Uh, you know, that they they give me so much to to focus on, um, but that there, there are genuine concerns. Uh, from my perspective, that the, the state of the championship was very poor financially. And it would only take a small issue to cause major financial repercussions. And clearly, COVID-19 is, is far more than a small issue. Yeah, absolutely. Just obviously, you mentioned that the fact that clubs have, you said, 600 million as, as a collective loss. How have finances in the championship been allowed to get that bad? Obviously, FFP came in, financial fair play came in. Um, which was meant to come in and curb all this spending, but it only seems to make clubs spend more. They obviously have that three-year buffer. It just seems that things have got worse in a way. Um, yeah, if, if you take a look at the actual numbers, um, I, 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 uh, I have a spreadsheet which has got every single set of championship accounts for this decade. Oh. And what we've seen is that every time more money comes into the game, um, either through increased parachute payments, increased solidarity payments, um, a slight improvement in a TV deal with, uh, with Sky or the other broadcast partners, that money and more goes out in the form of wages. Mm-hmm. So over the over the whole decade um the, the championship spent more money on wages than it did on income um how did it allowed was it allowed to, to come into that well financial fair play in its original form would have severely curtailed those losses so um the the original proposals would have only allowed clubs to have lost two million pounds a season mm-hmm. um and then I think it was 2015 or 2016, um, the, the club owners did two things. First of all, they decided to throw away those rules to allow clubs to lose £39 million pounds, mm-hmm. uh, over three seasons. So, they, so they, they relaxed the rules. And then some of the more unusual things, such as um, uh, until 2016, if a club sold an asset such as a stadium those profits didn't count towards FFP. Yeah. The club owners voted to abolish that particular restraint, um, even though uh, if you look at UEFA regulations, yeah. you, you can't do it for FFP purposes. <clears throat> and, they, and they renamed it profitability and sustainability. And then if you take those two words individually, what have they done? They've just relax the FFP limits, so therefore there's less focus on profitability and more on loss-making, and they've allowed clubs to sell their biggest assets in the form of the stadium. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not good for sustainability because if you take away the biggest asset of any business, mm-hmm. then that's not good for its long-term future. Um, and whilst the clubs who have sort of exploited that particular loophole um, haven't done anything wrong they've done nothing wrong legally or, or even against the rules um if you talk to a coventry fan about what mm-hmm. happens when you lose the legal title to your stadium they will yeah. say well this isn't good news um if, if you take a look at what's happened at Berry, there are issues taking place at bolton i'm a brighton fan we sold our stadium in 1997 mm-hmm. and we didn't get one back until 2011 so yeah you, you can see that um, effectively encouraging clubs to to do activities of that nature doesn't 
doesn't deal with either profitability or sustainability. So, so, so I guess a slightly different question. How does selling a ground impact the sale of a club? Because obviously, as you say, they, they lose their biggest asset. Obviously, for example, Derby, um, Derby County owner Mel Morris is trying to, he's, he's looking for investment, but now they don't effectively own their ground. Why should anyone invest in Derby County in that case? Well, I, I wouldn't invest in Derby County. I, I would invest in there's there's a there's a there's a there's a myriad of companies around. Mm. And what you do is that you buy the company which owns both Derby County Football Club and Dar- the Derby County Stadium. So I, 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 I would be I think it would be foolish to buy effectively just the name of a club unless as a new owner um, you you agree to a very fair rental agreement with mm. the with the club owner in which case if you, if you take a look at West Ham um, you know yeah. West Ham don't own the London Stadium but they are paying ridiculously low rent on it yeah. um, because hey you and me and all the people listening to this show we're subsidizing West Ham Football Club because we're <laughs> taxpayers um, so you know come on you hammers um, <laughs> because they're, 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 they're our club we part own it in effect um, so it it would it makes things more complicated yeah. where you have separation having said that the vast majority of clubs do have some form of separation but that might be a historic issue and what they haven't done is have an additional transaction yeah. where that the, the stadium has been sold at a profit and it's in and the argument goes it's purely been sold at a profit in order to satisfy FFP regulations. But, but it does increase the potential for inappropriate behavior at some point in the future. And, and you hope, and I don't care what team you support or who your most hated rivals are, I, I don't want to see any club go through that. No, absolutely. Um, obviously, we mentioned that finances before the impact of COVID-19 were in such a poor state. Um, just, just how unstable were were finances? Obviously, David Sharp, um, the ex-Wigan chairman, um, he, he he mentioned that a championship club could go out of business. Obviously, we've seen Barry do that this season. You know, if, if the virus didn't come in, could that still be the case? Um, very much so. Um, last season, um, the turnstiles effectively contributed. 155 million pounds to mm-hmm. championship clubs and, and that does vary um clearly we, we've got leads who are head and shoulders above everybody else um but as, a, as an away fan if, if you've been to to leads you know it's, it's an expensive day out yeah. um although as a derby fan i suspect you've got some quite good memories of it recently um ones. yes <laughs> um so you, you take 155 million pounds for any business. I mean, overall, in uh, in the championship, one pound in five comes from the turnstiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest contributor is uh, is TV, although that is very much skewed towards those clubs in receipt of parachute payments. Um, but yeah, I think you take away 150 million pounds from from a business which is already making losses and mm-hmm. that's going to accelerate those losses. Um, and as a consequence, it will increase the chances of a club going out of business. Now, increasing the chances isn't the same as guaranteeing that it will go out of business. Yeah. Um, but even so, you, you, you do fear 
um, and, th and there are clubs who are in a precarious position, um, e either because the, the owners don't have wealth or perhaps they've had some unusual activity taking place recently. And I would look at Charlton. I mean, Char Charlton are my biggest fear mm -hmm. uh, at present simply because the, the ownership issues at the club haven't really been resolved. Um, they, they appear to be in that awkward position whereby new owners unwilling to put money into a club and trying to find um, somebody to take over in, yeah. in a COVID environment is going to be very difficult because the owners bought the club for a pound. So therefore, you know, whoever's going to take over and say, well, it's, it's worth less than you paid for it. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a problem. Just on Charlton, would you say they were in a better position under Roland de Châtelet in terms yes. of ownership? Uh, yeah, in, in, in this, uh, yeah, he, he clearly, there was a toxic relationship between mm -hmm. him and the fan base. But what de Chachelet did was that he lent money to the club and he, under, he underwrote the losses. Mm -hmm. um, what's happening at present is we, we're not quite sure who is paying for the losses. Um, uh, clearly, that there's been a dispute at boardroom level. We've all seen the, uh, the Instagram posts of... Uh, accusations of largesse, I think is the politest way of putting it, uh, in terms of one of the guys that came in. And the my understanding is that the EFL um, didn't allow Charlton to sign any players during the January window because they hadn't managed to provide sufficient evidence of having the resources to to run the club for the next few years. Um, you know, that... that that's that is very concerning. Uh, de <coughs> was was clearly an owner that he and the fans did, had poor communication yeah. lines. Um, in his defence, he the club was was able to trade um, mm -hmm. yeah, un, under his ownership, and I think he did the best thing in moving on. Some, sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter what the relationship is. You know, it, you know, there's lots of people out there who'll be listening to this who've been divorced, split up with their partners and things. And so, you know, and sometimes relationships don't work out. And that one clearly uh, was best if both, both parties moved on. Um, but what it's been replaced for with is, uh, is not better. Um, obviously, as we discussed, finances are, are, are that bad in the championship. Um, is it really worth the huge sums of money being spent on going up? We've seen clubs in the past who haven't had the biggest budgets go up prove that they can do it but you've still got clubs spending way beyond their means is it really worth the large sums of money um no uh, and again I, I i did some research the weekend uh, because newcastle published their account so i now have every club's uh, finances for the whole of the the decade about the whole mm. of the premier league era if, if you take a look at the last decade because it, it yeah. fits nicely into a narrative um 36 clubs have played in the Premier League during the, the teenies, I think as you call them. Um, and of those clubs, only um, 16 have made a profit. Um, and, and the overall return on um, by, by Premier League clubs worked out as 0.7%. Um, so, you, you know, it's, it's simply not worth it. You know, why you wouldn't put your money into a bank. You wouldn't put all that money into a bank account. Um, mm. And the, the total amount of revenue generated by the Premier League over the course of the last decade, I think was around about £36 billion. Um, 
of which much is high risk. You look at all of those clubs that went up, came down, you know, and, and are now losing money in the championship for, for a 0.7 return. So it's, it's not worth it. And I think there's a myth in respect of the, the Premier League that it's mm-hmm. uh, profitable. Um, I, I'm a Brighton fan. We got promoted in 2017. In 2018, we made our first profit in about 15 years yeah. and then our second season in the Premier League because you're recruiting more players so therefore you've got higher costs in terms of wages and transfer fees and so on once you reach hit that second season syndrome you're, you're back to losing 20 million pounds a year so the only thing that's changed for us financially is that instead of losing 20 million pounds a year in the championship playing Barnsley and Rotherham and yeah, Wigan, we're now losing twenty million pounds a year in the Premier League, playing Burnley and Bournemouth and Watford. It's, has has football ever been sustainable? Just just thinking about it, it's, it's very difficult to to think back to a time where clubs were either breaking even or making a profit. It's, it's as I say, it's very hard to think back to a time where it was a sustainable sport. Um. Well, no, it, it, it genuinely was profitable, I would say, in, in the early years of the Premier League mm-hmm. um, because um, then clubs were paying out probably on average around about 43, 44 pence in the pound in mm-hmm. wages for every 100 pounds of income. That's gone up. Transfer fees have gone up. Um, the Bosman ruling has had a huge impact upon... The, the dynamics of the relationship between player and club. Yeah. So before Bosman, um, the, the the clubs were in the box seat. They were in a stronger negotiating position than players. Um, as as a result of that particular ruling, um, the, the the balance of power has tipped towards the players. And and I'm not saying that's a bad thing or a good thing. Uh, I I will defend players' wages. Um, to, to as far as I can, um, because it's we, we live in a capitalist society. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a it, it's it's a talent based industry where ninety nine percent of the talent doesn't doesn't get paid mm-hmm. for doing the work. So um, I'm I'm not going to criticise players in terms of the wages because if anybody offered me a pay rise, I'd take it. You know, so I don't see yeah. why. Um, what, why that should not apply to to professional footballers, but certainly that the balance of power um, shifted when when Bosman came along, and that had an impact upon the profitability of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, touching on sustainability, we've we've heard numerous ways that the the EFL are looking into making it a more sustainable um, industry, I guess. Um, would a salary would a salary cap, which is one of the things they've, they've spoken about, would that create a large gap in quality between the Championship and the Premier League, just on this discrepancy of wealth? Well, I think a lot would depend upon where that uh, salary cap is is, is applied. Um, th- there is a big gap between the Championship and the yeah. Premier League. I mean, I've you know, as as a fan that's that's seen both um, in recent years. Um, you know, the, the, the the players that we're recruiting at, at the at the non-big six level, mm-hmm. um, whilst they're not necessarily good enough to, to scare Liverpool and Manchester United, um, their their speed of thought, their 
the, the intricacy of the way that they they link up and so on that there, there is a noticeable difference mm-hmm. um there's only so many players that can play in the Premier League at one time. Yeah. So if you think about it, you know, 20 teams of 25, you know, squads of 25, so it's 500 players. So your first reaction would be, well, it shouldn't have an impact. But I think what the championship has managed to do is to, um, is to recruit players from, from other leagues, which mm-hmm. has been successful, which has allowed those clubs to, um, when they are promoted to the Premier League, to to survive and and it is all about survival initially yeah um if we were to apply um and i believe that the the number that's been spoken around is is around about six thousand or six and a half thousand pounds a week um in in the championship um the present average weekly wage is sixteen thousand pounds i'm just looking at my spreadsheet here uh well 15 yeah sixteen thousand pounds and if that £6,000 a week limit had been applied, mm-hmm. the only club um, that uh, would have been under it last season would have been Rotherham. Um, and, and they were on about three and a half grand. Um, the, the next lowest in the, in, the, uh, in the championship were Bolton. And, and you know, clearly they were a basket case of a club anyway. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I th- I think there, w- there will be challenges um, because you will have players on existing contracts um, who well, say, well, they can't apply to us. I was going to say, how, how on earth are you going to negotiate a player down who might be earning fifteen, sixteen thousand pounds £16,000 a week to say, we're on a salary cap, it's 6000 or we can't have you? Well, well, you, you can't. You know, um, you know, contract law says yeah. says that you can't. So, therefore, the only way that this could be um, uh, applied <clears throat> is if it was sort of brought in in stages, so yeah. that anybody on an existing contract. And this is what happened when UEFA introduced financial fair play itself, mm-hmm. um, because Manchester City applied for a dispensation because they had a lot of players on on incredible contracts at the time. Um, <clears throat> But that means that some clubs will therefore have an advantage for two or three years. Um, what, what are you going to do if you've got a club coming down from the Premier League um, where you've got players on 100 grand a week? Now, they, they might yeah. have, they, they might have a, a clause in their contract which says, um, and, and the majority of the non-14 clubs do have this. You know that they will say, "Well, you're going to take a, a 30% or a 40% pay cut potentially if we get relegated." Um, but you've got uh, let's let's take a club such as Palace. You've got uh, Wilfred Zahar, Christian Benteke, Sacco, and Max Meyer, who are all apparently on more than 100 grand a week. So therefore, they would have to take a 95% pay cut. Should Palace mm-hmm. be? It's, it's not. It's not going to happen. Then no. they're not going. Their their representatives aren't going to agree to a contract of that nature, um, and this means that it would cause a huge issue in the Championship if the clubs who are relegated from the Premier League, if the if the wage cap doesn't apply for them for say three years, mm-hmm. um, are competing against yeah, the the hardy perennials of of the Championship, um, who who can't recruit any players that would be particularly competitive against those in, in receipts of parachutes. So uh, you, you solve one problem, you create another.
in that in that case then obviously with the potential long term of well it's going to be in the long term of a, with a salary cap it's not something that can be hurried on do you think clubs should be more responsible um i remember listening to a price football podcast that you host um Luton Town, for example, we had the Luton Town chairman on. Um, they said they, they sign players on two-year deals. To, you know, it fits their model. Clubs going down that route and being more responsible for themselves, is, is that obviously something that, that should be the case, but should more clubs be heeding that ethos? Um, yeah, I mean, Gary Sweet, who, who is the, the Luton <laughs> chair, he was, he was a superb guest and, and he was very, very uh, candid, very, very frank about the, mm-hmm. the position they're in. Um, that work, that model works for Luton Town because Luton Town have come from National League to League Two to League One to Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a Premier League club and you've just signed somebody for twenty million pounds, you don't want to sign him on a two-year contract because right. he's going to walk away for nothing in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, in in the Championship, you know, if if you look at Borough signing uh, Sombolonga from Forest. That he puts fifteen million pounds was that mm-hmm. a three or four year deal? Now, yeah. if you reduce that to a two year deal, that's that that causes issues because yeah. that that well, um, and and of course as fans, you, you want to tie your best talent to the club for a long period of time. Otherwise, he walks away for nothing. So it it it, it works for for Luton because of the the particular pool of talent mm-hmm. in which they are recruiting. Yeah. And, and they are recruiting for players who are going to be paid no more than six grand a week anyway. Um, if, you, if you're looking at clubs who are more established in, in the championship, who are generating more money, um, you know, Leeds have got some good players. You've got some good players at Derby and Forest and so on. Um, it, it would be very, very easy for a Premier League club to say, well, we're, We'll come along and, and we're going to make you a squad player. So you, you mm-hmm. and we're going to pay you twenty grand a week, and the player's going to go. Well, I'm going to take it, and and the and the and the club in the championship is probably going to have to go and take the offer anyway because they know that 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 player is going to leave at most within you know probably fifteen months mm-hmm. because yeah once once you've shown yourself to be good then then you know you're probably halfway at least through that that, that season, um and and the value of the players decrease significantly in the final year of a contract absolutely i think looking at models obviously luton's it it fits what what they do is it fits their model you look at other clubs such as brentford who very much you know look at the long term they sign players they improve them they sell them on at a higher fees it's a very obvious model there are clubs like bristol city for example who sort of sit in between um so, for example, I think they posted um, a profit for their accounts last season, but they were, they were pretty much based on player sales. Something like that for me isn't a sustainable model for a football club. Just airing your thoughts on that. Yeah, effectively, the, the development model approach, um, you, are, you are panning for gold. And provided you discover some gold, then then that works. Mm-hmm. If you don't, <clears throat> you don't eat. You don't survive. Mm-hmm. So it, it is there is a risk associated with that model. I, I think it's worked for Brentford because they use big data to a far greater extent than any mm-hmm. other club 
in the um, in the championship, um, and their owner he owns Smart Odds, you know, so he he owns a betting company or, or rather a betting consultancy. Yeah. And, and the nature of the work that his company is doing is analytical work, is is data research based, um, in in respect of identifying talent. So they they sign players young. Um, they don't have a reserve team. Um, they their, their focus. That's right. They don't have an academy because they focus on um, the benefits of having the mar- some some market markets which you don't have where, where you're based in the East Midlands because mm-hmm. Brentford is in London. So they've got a population of nine million, and you've got Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, and West Ham all getting rid of players at the age of seventeen. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes those players aren't good enough for Chelsea and so on, and, and, they, and they won't necessarily get a career in football. But a lot of them were just very unlucky. because, yeah. And if you can identify those players who could go further, and that's what Brentford do, um, then they, they, they identify the players, they give them a, an opportunity, effectively put him in a shop window, uh, develop him over a period of you know, a year, and then, that, then they sell him on a big profit. So that, that works. Um, provided that the transfer market is at high levels. What we're going to see this summer throughout the rest of 2020, probably for at least the whole of 2021, is the, the transfer market is going to collapse, mm-hmm. which is going to have a significant impact upon the likes of Brentford because they are more dependent. And as far as Bristol City are concerned, um, yeah, that they, they have made some uh, you know fairly high value sales yeah. over the course of the last year or two and again you know, i have to hold my hand up here we, we we signed adam webster from bristol city you know he'd he'd, he'd come from ipswich the previous year for you know, two million three million mm-hmm. and, and he's our record signing at around about 20 um but are you going to find a uh, Adam Webster every year, not necessarily so. If, if you take a look at Palace in the Premier League, the profits they made from player sales in the last three years, 2 million, 1 million, 45 million. So, mm. you know, it, it, it's, it's a very volatile, it's a very high risk uh, approach to take mm-hmm. because finding a, 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 a youth player who can step up to that next level is is a high risk thing to do because if it doesn't work out increases the chances of defeats increases the chances of relegation so it can prove to be a very expensive exercise absolutely obviously you mentioned that the transfer market collapsing just how how do you think football's going to move forward in the obviously the current circumstances we're in and what we're going to be heading into obviously games behind closed doors reduced income how how is the football transfer market going to to look? Obviously, no one's going to be no one's going to be paying sixty seventy million pounds for for a signing. What's it going to what's it going to look like? Well, I, I think there could be some big signings from elite to elite because yeah. the, the the rich are operating in a different environment to the rest mm-hmm. of us. Um, as far as the the remaining. 86 clubs are concerned realistically um it will be uh greater use of the loan market mm-hmm. uh greater use of free signings and uh, and player swaps so it, i think you've people Clubs have really got to do their homework, perhaps a bit more. But what they can't afford to do is to write out checks. So anything mm. which which is is in a is in a non cash environment. Um, and remember, the, these big clubs in the Premier League, 
that they they are looking to develop their own talent so if, if you make the right recruitment I, I don't think the loan fees uh, will, will will be sustainable certainly the you know no. some if, if you talk to chairman in the championship many of them will say that the big clubs in the Premier League are now looking for million pound plus loan fees for a season mm-hmm. for a you know a, a you know somebody of the Tammy Abraham's level um and I, I, I can't see that being sustained uh, because clubs in the championship simply don't have the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and there will be the opportunity to sign a, a free transfer. Um, there will be complications as far as uh, recruiting from Europe is concerned because the, the government has effectively um, combined the way that we deal with um, non-EU players and, and now the, the EU will be added to that so recruiting from the EU which was yeah, it, it was frictionless in effect mm-hmm. historically um, that will no longer be the case um, which gives opportunities for for local talent um, so you know, you know that it's not a uh, I'm, I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing um, but there will certainly be changes in in the way that players are being developed and recruited and spotted. Yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be interesting. Do you think clubs that have previously just wrote the checkbook out for players, are they going to be the ones that ultimately suffer going forward because they might not have the recruitment system in place to find these gems? Um, yeah, I think clubs are going to have to work harder, but... If you are one of those clubs that has a checkbook because that checkbook is given to you by the club owner and he continues to give you that checkbook, it could work the other way. It could give you an advantage in, yeah. a, in, in a market where the, the, the majority of the clubs in, uh, uh, in the championship can't afford to pay more than a million pounds for players. If you can afford to pay two millions, all of a sudden you know, you're king of the hill. Um, so we'll have to see. Uh, any any club with a strong balance sheet will have a significant advantage in in the transfer mm-hmm. market. Um, and by strong balance sheet, I don't necessarily mean cash in the bank. I mean cash in the owner's bank account because <laughs> yeah, that quickly becomes the club's bank account. Um, obviously, moving moving on. If anyone's obviously listened to the price of football, or even today, they'll know you're a Brighton fan. Um, that that Brighton probably a great example of how clubs can sustain themselves. You know, 10 to 15 years ago, you were playing home games at a running track. Now you've arguably got one of the most impressive stadiums in the UK. Um, just as, as, as a Brighton fan, seeing that progress and obviously using your expertise, just how big a journey has that been for Brighton? Um, well, it, it's, it, it's, it's, um, it is uh, it's not a word I like to use. It is unbelievable because mm-hmm. b- before the running track, we were playing at Gillingham. Yeah. So it was a 150 mile around trip um, to, to go and see home games. And we were in League Two. And frankly, we were awful. And the only reason why we're in existence today is that Doncaster had an owner who was a horrible piece of work who, and, and the club was effectively broken. And they went down in, in nine. We were second bottom that year, but it was the worst football I've ever seen. Um, we are where we are today due to one man. And that guy is, that one man is, is our owner, Tony Bloom. Um, and a bit like Mel Morris at Derby, he's, he's a local lad. He's been successful in his own business. 
but he's put 350 million pounds into the club um the stadium is great the the, the training facilities are out of this world so it, it, you know and i, I know some of our critics ref- call us infrastructure fc but i think if you build a club on on good foundations mm-hmm. it, it it can create a, a a greater chance of a legacy um and he also underwrote all the losses that we were incurring in the championship at the amex stadium so he, he gave he gave a succession of managers a competitive budget and remember you are competing um against uh, the the clubs with parachute payments and uh, eventually that paid off but uh you know, I've, uh, I, there, there were three sets of playoffs, um, very painful experiences <laughs> before we were finally promoted. Absolutely. We'll, we'll get onto that in, in a moment. Um, moving away from the finance side of it, one thing that's always intrigued me about Brighton is the rivalry with Crystal Palace and just how it formed. Obviously, naturally, you think South Coast Club, Portsmouth, Southampton, down the road. How did, that, how did it about? Well, well, Portsmouth and Southampton genuinely hate each other, but we've we've always just got on pretty well with them. Um, uh, in terms of Palace, uh, it it started in nineteen seventy six, seventy seven. Mm. Um, Alan Mullery and Terry Venables were the respective managers of yeah. um, of Brighton and Palace at the time. They hated each other, um, and we had an FA Cup. Uh, draw against Palace. And we, we didn't particularly like them, but didn't, there, was, there was no, we didn't consider them to be our rivalries. First match was drawn, second match was drawn, and in those days, it, it went to as many replays as it, it, as it needed to, mm-hmm. to, to resolve. So it went to a second replay at, uh, at Stamford Bridge. And um, I think it was about 15 minutes from the end. Um, we got a penalty. Yeah. Um, our captain went up, scored, the referee disallowed it for a <laughs> Palace defender encroaching in the box. Okay, so penalty was retaken. Their keeper saved it. Palace went down the other end and scored. They beat us 1-0. Mullery was absolutely incandescent. He stormed up to the Palace fans, uh, took the change out of his pockets and threw it at the Palace fans. <laughs> You're not worth that, Palace, except you said it's slightly stronger words. The Palace fans were incensed. We were incensed. Afterwards, and I was only 14 at the time, afterwards it was proper 70s hooligan. It was, what, it was wow. World War Three took effect. And the legacy of that is that the next time we did play Palace uh, in a league match, there were scores to be settled, and, and it's yeah. grown from there. So it's a relatively new hatred um between the two clubs but it, but it is ridiculously intense i remember and also there's been big gaps when we've not played them mm-hmm. which has actually increased the hatred during yeah. those periods so i i remember when we finally got back up to the championship in, in 93 and we we had a we were we were, we were still playing at the withdean stadium so we had a, we had effectively a scratch team <clears throat> Um, and, and before the match, I was in the pub and I didn't recognise assault. There were it was it was all the lads, you know, the okay. um, all, all the cokehead, you know, uh, Stone Island idiots yeah. had come out to play for the day, um, and it was just a horrible experience. Uh, not not uh, not helped by the fact that Palace beat us five nil on the day. <laughs> uh, ultimately, caused by referee wouldn't have happened. 
Yeah, yeah, you, you, uh, the name Ron Chalice in Brighton is uh, is is, <laughs> is, a, is a is a word that isn't spoken. He's he's a hated man. Derby fans have a similar uh, dislike to Stuart Atwell for a incident against Forest. So, ah, right, and, and that's, we, that's we how it should be. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, did it did it seem at a point that you were? Oh, did it seem at a point you were never going to go up? Obviously, he lost in the playoffs to Palace, which I imagine is oh, that that was soul the worst, destroying. Worst day of my life. Yeah. Um, I think you lost in the, again in the playoffs to Derby. You're picked yeah. the automatics by two goals, and then lost in the playoffs again. I, I, again, as a as a Derby sport, I, I can sympathise with the, the constant playoff heartache. Surely, at that point, all hope was lost. Um, it it, it was it was really weird. I mean, Palace. We were pl- we were playing them at home in the second leg, having dri- mm-hmm. having drawn nil nil, um, but you could tell that the players were really nervous, and and Palace deserved to win on the night, and you know, and it's it's a horrible thing to have to say, but they were the better side. Mm-hmm. Um, when we played you the, the, the two years later, um, again there was no complaints. You know, it was six two on aggregate. There was no, it was quite clear who the better side was. Um, so that, and the, I think the hardest one to, to deal with was in many respects in, in 2016, where we, we, we went to Middlesbrough on the final day of the season mm-hmm. and it was us or Borough who were going to get promoted. Yeah. We needed to win. Um, Mike Dean sent off one of our players for a meaningless tackle. <laughs> it wasn't, it was a, it was a yellow card at most. So, so we, but we, we drew 1-1 one, one and the players gave everything. They absolutely knackered themselves. Um, and Sheffield Wednesday had already picked up the final playoff place. So Steve Bruce, rightly, you know, you know, or, uh, rightly he'd, he'd stuck out the reserves for their final league game. So their, their players hadn't played for, for 12, or, 12 or 13 days by the time we came to the first leg of the playoffs. And our players were wrecked. So mm. we had four players injured during the match so we ended up with 10 men that, that that was just horrible because we were by far the third best team in the division that season yeah. um <clears throat> and we thought the side was going to be broken up and, and to be fair to the owner he went in and he said to the squad look i, I can't fault any of you give me just give me one more year and then you're free to go to, to any club. And, and the players all bought into that. Um, and, and in 2017, we, yeah, we were promoted with three matches to go and, and, and we ripped that division um, that, that particular season. So n- never give up. <laughs> yeah. Never give up. You're talking to a Derby fan. So. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously the dejection of that situation and then going into the second season, uh, going into the promotion season, was there ever a, a point where you thought we? I mean, before the start of the season, was there a point where you thought well, we can we can do it? We've got the squad, we can do it. Um, yeah, I, I think we we recruited well. Um, getting Glenn Murray back was a masterstroke yeah. because. It, uh, you know, everybody know that Glenn's he's not the quickest player around. He's uh, he's not the most mobile, but he's a superb finisher and he's a really smart centre forwards mm-hmm. in that uh, he holds the ball up well. Uh, you know, Glenn, you know, we just used to go and wet ourselves laughing every time he had a player centre half before him who give him the slightest of nudges. Glenn was down. 
and you know he, he won us uh, you know in, in awkward situations he bought us time and it was uh, it, it, it was a very craftsman um, Anthony Knockhart that season deservedly won the um, player of the year he, he was on fire we had a we had a goalkeeper who I, mean, I, I remember one match it was a Tuesday night um, Glenn Murray saved the ball on the line got sent off uh, we were we were down to ten men. Um, Forestieri came up, took a penalty. David David Stockdale, amazing save, but he knocked the ball straight back to For- Forestieri. Oh, okay, it's a tap in. Forestieri's about to tap it in, saved it again, and then in the last minute, we won the match. And and mm-hmm. there, there are that those those particular moments. Yeah, absolutely. But we thought, it, yeah, we are going to do it because sometimes you just get the the rub of the green. Um, and and you'll sense it. You you will you will start to feel it in your blood um, that we've got. Some, yeah, the gods are with us this year. You're on course to win the league that season, weren't you? And then I think you're promoted, and the form just dipped in the last three games. And obviously Newcastle then went on to win the league. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we, we were promoted um, uh, with three games to go. Uh, we then went to Norwich on a Friday night. David Stockdale scored two own goals, so we lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then had a home match at home to Bristol City, and it was it, it was a collective hangover. Both the fans, we just expected a coronation, and it mm-hmm. didn't work. And we then went to Villa on the final day of the season, needing to win. Um, we were we were one nil up going into the last minute. Uh, Jack Grealish did a bobble shot, and. Uh, Stockdale let it squirm under him. It was just, it was just very, very annoying um, at the time. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. But uh, yeah, it, it, it was, it was a, it was a relative, it was a bit of a disappointment. But ultimately, you're promoted. Yeah, and it's, it was that that summer. Looking forward to, yeah, you know, I think we broke our transfer record you know, five times in five weeks, and it was, mm. it was just you, you are like a kid in a sweet shop. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so obviously, going on to the final point, I'd be interested to know some of your favourite championship away grounds that you've been to because there's been a, a, a progression of, I'd say, soulless bowls that have, have come into it. So it'd be good to know which ones might be your favourite. Um, I, I like going to QPR. Mm. It, it's, it's, not, it's not particularly comfortable, but it's really tight. Um, I, I, I've been to the baseball ground. Um, in mm. in the second division, watching us, and that that I, I did prefer the baseball ground to your new place simply because it was it's more old school. Yeah. Um. So those those are a couple of good ones. Um. Huddersfield is always a good day out. So so it, it it's not the stadium itself. It, it's it's that day long experience. And yeah. We've always found Huddersfield fans to be particularly welcoming because the pubs mm. are always pretty friendly and so on. Um. Yeah, and, and Forest <coughs> is a good one. I know, I know you don't want to hear that, but as from an away fan's perspective, it's actually a pretty good place. No, I, I work in Nottingham, so I know right. a lot of the pubs and bars around are quite good. Obviously, walking along the trench, not, it's not the worst worst yeah. walk to a ground in the world. Um, yeah. But no, I think that pretty much wraps everything up. Um, before we go, though, small plug for the Pies Football Podcast. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's the podcast which shouldn't work um, <laughs> because you've, you've got a stand-up comedian and a teacher talking about my spreadsheets but yeah the stand-up uh, it's it's kevin day who people might remember from match of the day two 
um, he, he writes the scripts for Have I Got News For You and uh, the, the MASH Report and places like that. And, and I've, I've always liked Kevin's work. So I, I approached him on, on Twitter to say, would you fancy doing this? Because I'd been approached by somebody at the BBC, uh, BBC Money, to say, should we ever give it a go? Um, I'll be honest, I thought it would last three episodes. No one would listen to it and when, we'd, when we'd run out of stories. But we, we, we've just just gone, been through half a million downloads. Um, we're now doing t- two shows a week and, and we're getting really good guests on the show. So uh, for anybody out there with a podcast, you know, keep faith in it and uh, it, it'll, it, it could surprise you and everybody else. Absolutely. But yeah, brilliant, Karen. Yeah, thank you for your time today. Uh, and obviously, you know, please keep joining out the podcast because they're a help for me and any football fan that wants to get to know the side of football that you never hear about, really. Okay, well, thank, well, thanks for the invite, Justin, and uh, no good luck for the rest of the season. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.